All right, welcome back to the In The Blues Tone podcast. This is the second in-house one with my friend Dave. Dave K, I'll just leave good it at evening. that. How are you, mate? Good, good. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. And for the long-term subscribers as well, you might remember Dave from not only the little sort of rig gear rundown documentary we did a while back at your place, which was some of the best stuff I've ever seen anywhere in the world. <laughs> and I've been to a lot of places, Thanks. mate. So Thanks. your uh, collection is insane. And you also, the other reason I wanted to have you in here today is I know we, we've both run Jam Nights, which is the other side of the coin from being just a, a musician at one, which we spoke about with Rick and Ryan on the last podcast. So I thought we'd have a chat about that as well. But yeah, your gear collection is insanely great and you've got a lot of really great vintage amps. And I know we've spoken about some of that on the on the last video, but I think some of the questions a lot of people always have is, how great or what's the major difference between like a vintage amp and like a modern reissue and i know you own like a 65 64 original uh deluxe 65 65 65 deluxe yeah yeah. and you've also got the reissue so i thought maybe we could start there tell us a little bit about you know how you actually found that amp to start with in australia and then maybe just some comparisons in terms of what you think about both I'd go through, go to a music shop, and I think I was looking at a sixty-one three-three-five, and plug it into a into the DR. Oh, look, I was kind of eyeing off DRs anyway, so they happened to have one. Mm. Plonked it in there, and it just sounded like crap. They said, "Oh, look, the speaker's gone." So he plugged an external speaker into it, and it just sounded magic. <laughs> yeah. Now this is a sixty-one three-three-five, and a sixty-five DR. Um, I, I fell in love with both, <laughs> but three three five had to wait. I wish I'd picked that up as well, but it was wow. a bit 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 steep. I, I never saw another one like that again. Um, a lot of three three fives have chunky necks. So I, I don't like chunky necks. They had a nice thin neck, beautiful. Yeah, that's where but we that's, that's where we're uh, separated. I like the big necks. So. Yeah, no, <laughs> they, they like them. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, fair, so enough, I, fair enough. Yeah. So I thought, okay, look, I'll, I'll grab it. Sixty five, grab it with a different speaker, mm-hmm. and kind of use a few times, but tended to use a reissue for gigs and things like that. And every time I compared the two, there was just no comparison. The, the, the real thing was just, it just sounded better. Yeah. Now, is that psychological <laughs> or did it really sound better? I don't know. Now, I remember last, officially, finally a few months back, brought it up and uh, Ryan had it. Had a play through it, and oh, I'm did too. pretty sure. Kind of, he said, "Oh, geez, this one sounds much better," and that was a 65 rather yeah. than the reissue. Now, a lot of those old amps, the the tolerances varied so much too. So, I guess some of them were not hit and miss, but they were they could sound very different to each other. I guess for people who don't know that that what that means is that like the parts weren't maybe made as efficiently as they are now, or as close to the spec like a 250k pot might have been 210 or 290 you know you never knew back in the day so um, so it was potluck pun intended <laughs> yeah 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 exactly <laughs> so in terms of like uh is it just something about what is it about the sound that you think just sort of jumps out more is it is it a louder amplifier as well or is it volume wise pretty comparable oh, volume wise pretty comparable it's yeah. just the sound that it, it's kind of grow up hearing that sound and then you hear it yeah. and it's just closer to to the real sound yeah. that you expect your your stuff's in such great condition as well like did you was it is it just luck when you find some stuff that's old because you've got i mean for people who don't know who haven't seen the first video that we did together i'll leave a link up on the cards if you're uh, watching on youtube but you've got probably uh, I'm guessing 30 vintage or 30 amps from Fender almost or something like that. Is that right? Or 30 amps in total? It's crazy. I'd have to consult with my database people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got so many great ones and they're all like in just great condition as well. You, you've got such great uh, stuff. Maybe with the exception also of one not accidental. That's probably also not accidental. Yeah, um, okay. I've kind of always tended to just like stuff that's been looked after. Yeah. And I I look after look after all my equipment really well. I mean I, I can't stand I, I can't stand seeing people burning a guitar and breaking a guitar. 
Oh, yeah. It's, it, it's just, just, I'll get shivers up my spine. <laughs> <laughs> I got to uh, yeah. tell everybody something funny too. Anytime I have my guitar and it's like neck <laughs> uh, just resting against the amp, Dave always spins it around <laughs> just I, in case. I can't stand that either. I, I could just see, I I could just see it around that edge slipping off and the whole thing falling yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. So what a, I know we covered this in the in the last video, but there's probably 50,000 more subscribers on the channel since then too. So what are some of the, like, I guess some of the the best amps you've got or in terms of what you like the sound of the most or maybe some of the most collectible as well? I never kind of looked at, looked at in terms of what was most collectible. Probably in terms of preference, my yeah. favourite is a Tremolux. Yeah, cool. With a 15-inch. Just such a nice, mellow-sounding amp. Uh, I think it's a 58. <clears throat> um, just a really, really nice-sounding amp. Um, and then the DR comes close. Oh, look, the Deluxe is also nice as well. Tweed Deluxe. Uh, but but a lot of those things really aren't really usable. No. So they're the, I mean, like are you, they the five watt amps? The no, no, oh, the Deluxe is 14 ish. 14, okay. Give or take. Because you've got a couple of you champs. Think champs. Yeah, 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 little yeah. champs. Oh, yeah. look, the little champs are great and Vibra champs and just, just beautiful little things. Yeah. Um, but again, would you use them? <laughs> nah, probably, probably not. Just Probably just for a jam. Yeah, that's it. Um, I actually got a five watt amp recently from Joyo. It's a basically a clone of one of those it'd be an interesting a b test to see you know how how a sort of inexpensive chinese brand matches against like a what is it a 1960s as well or is it older than that it's 50, 50, 50, 50, yeah, yeah wow yeah <laughs> oh, i think 60s as well yeah 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 i'll yeah. oh, yeah, if you want to do a comparison yep yeah that'd be cool old. that'd be cool <laughs> one thing i never try is putting those through a bigger speaker cabinet yeah okay you know that little cigarette Box amp. That was yeah. That was Dave's actually. I did a video <coughs> um, on that. That was I, awesome. I plugged that into a larger cabinet. Yeah, and I could not believe how loud that thing was. What Half a watt. I think I plugged and it into my Marshall box, and I, I was like, "This is awesome." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people talk about could you play through the sample with a drummer? Well, look, I, I reckon with a four ten or four twelve cabinet, that little thing. Yeah, yeah look, it worked with a with a reasonable drummer that had some. Self-control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're right because yeah. I don't know how they get those little things. So for those who don't know what it is, it's literally a cigarette packet that's got an amplifier and a speaker built into it that's powered by a – is it a 9-volt battery from memory? 9-volt battery, yeah. And you yeah. still had the original battery in there like 20 years later or something. Yeah, oh, it still worked. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Thank God it didn't leak. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, oh. he told me to um, cut it and like – Check the battery or something. So I did that and I, I opened it up and the battery was still a charge. I couldn't believe still okay. it. Phew. Yeah. So yeah. that was loud through the two by 12 box, uh, which is just Celestian 7080 speakers I've got yeah. in there. I, I was pretty impressed. I got to tell you though, that, that onboard <laughs> speaker left a little uh, to be desired, but yeah, I wasn't expecting qual qualitatively too much challenged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was actually one of the most fun videos I did last year. It took me, I think, um, had it for ages. I apologise for that. <laughs> I must have had that for about nine weeks. So yeah, I'll get no, it back no, to you in like good. two weeks. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was awesome. So you've also got like other amps other than Fenders too, which you don't, I don't see too much of these days. Have you gone off the other amp brands pretty much playing when you play live? Because Dave plays guitar live. He plays bass as well. He's been in my band. Um, we've done jams and all kinds of stuff. So I usually just see you with the Supersonic these days. That's about it. All the deluxe. Supersonic. I think I like about that one is it's got a nice clean, clean sound. Yep. Pretty well like a deluxe reverb. And it's got onboard dirt. So especially for things like jams, plug and pray. I mean, plug and play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good topic for later. No, no. Which, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Good introduction. <laughs> So I had a question on Instagram about, um, you know, being that you're a collector of valve amps or tube amps mostly, have you ever considered playing through like a modelling amp or a Kemper or anything like that? There was one question that we had come in today. I thought, oh, that's a great question. Have you ever experienced the uh, the digital world? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> no, no. <clears throat> no, I have. Yeah. I have. Um, one of my first amps was a Yamaha 50-watt. Solid state. Uh, still have it. Still use it. So at home, that's the go-to 
amp. If, if I want to pick something up, I'll just plug into that, turn it on. Yeah. What about full-blown digital? Just to warm up. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> what about it just in terms of some of the, you know, you see the Fender Mustangs and the Boss Katanas and all that, any of that sort of no. ever? Nah, no, I didn't think so. no. Uh, With a pedal collection quite like yours too. Yeah, actually, Dave has more pedals than me, and I, I, that's what I do for a living. That's not, not just a pedal collection, but also those fancy effects units. Yeah, I reckon I probably end up getting maybe almost every one of them. I give them a bash, try them out. <clears throat> I just found them all to be too complex. Do you, you mean like the all-in-ones? All-in-ones, yeah. The, the multi-effects. Yeah, yeah. That got everything. You mean like in terms of like the digital ones or the analog? Digital, digital okay, well, yeah. actually, even analog ones. I think there's a Vox one that's got a couple of tubes in there. Uh, trying oh, to do as yeah. well. But they're always just too complex. Mm-hmm. Everything out of the box is too saturated, too much delay, too much distortion, too much phase, too much chorus, too yeah. much of everything. So unless you spend a lot of time fiddling with them, mm-hmm. they're really not that usable. No. So I've just never been a big fan of those. I've always preferred simplicity of valve amps and simplicity of individual boxes. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Recently I reviewed the, this thing from Joyo. It was a gen, it's called the Gen Box 3. It had everything in there and, and more. And I found it was awesome for delays and reverbs, but when it yeah. when it comes to just an overdrive pedal going into an amp, an actual one is always better. Because I remember this years ago, I bought one of those, uh, what was it, a M13 from Line 6. It had more buttons. <laughs> uh, what was it? Hey, there's this joke that was going around. My friend Carla, oh, our friend Carla said, uh, more buttons than a haberdashery or something, right? Like he said something <laughs> stupid like that. It had buttons all over the place. And you know what I ended up doing? I took that and I used the delays. And then I had my two favorite overdrive pedals in a one. The whole thing was like this big. I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. So I flipped it and I got two de- a delay pedal and a reverb pedal or something back then. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> it's just not something about it I don't think is quite as nice or it's more fiddly and it's not as easy to edit on the fly. At mm. least that's how I feel about it anyway. Mm. No, I've always just preferred the simplicity of the, of the individual boxes yeah. um, and somehow tend to gravitate towards uh, boss pedals. Not plug-in boss or anything like that, but it's, nah. it's kind of actually... Um, I was about to mention that, actually. Um, I'm seeing a psychologist about this. <laughs> no, I, I did wonder why. Look, they're tough. Um, do the job pretty well. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Um, so most most of my boxes tended to be boss. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it, yeah, like I said before, Dave's got a lot of great pedals from... All different companies. They're, they're just, it's really high end sort of stuff on the most part. I don't think you've really got any junk in your collection like I have. And it's funny because I used to sort of laugh at you. I'd be like, you got this, you got all these pedals and you every time I'd see you with like a Boss Blues Driver. Why? Because Blues they're driver. great. You'd have a tremolo TR2, pedal. Tremolo, TR2, I had one of those as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a great combination of stuff. And just to put it in context, another friend of ours, Brian, who, you know, as soon as Brian buys anything, we all buy what Brian plays because we hope we you can. You've got no idea we- how much he's cost me. Yeah, oh, and me too. Don't worry about that. Um, and now he, you know what he's using now? He's using a Boss Blues driver and a Tube Screamer. That's it. He's had everything, dual pedals, three pedals, everything. That's his main pedal board now for his amp. And he's also got an all-in-one, which is from Newex, that thing called the Cerebus, and yeah, our yeah. other friend Dom's got yeah. one of those. I actually got another one sent out the other day, so they're pretty cool. But, yeah, it's funny how great yeah. those old Boss pedals are. They just yep. they got it right, and I, I think as many of all these new pedal companies come out, they're sort of almost redoing the same thing with maybe a slight mod here and there, but you could get... You could use any of those old Boss pedals and or, or Tube Screamers or whatever from Ibanez or Maxon. They're going to be just as good as anything else. They just don't look as cool. I think that's why, you know, they've got they've stuck to that sort of nineteen eighties Nintendo vibe or seventies. Exactly <laughs> the same. Yeah, look. I actually exactly respect that. Same. I like that. Yeah, look, if it ain't broke, don't yeah. fix it. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I think there is a lot of that in there mm-hmm. because <clears throat> they are tough and. They've proven themselves to be reliable over the years, so, yeah. And the best floor tuner I've ever had is the Boss one. I love it. It's probably a medium great ones, but out of all the ones I've owned, 
their TR2 or 3 or whatever it is that I've, I've had now for 10-plus years is just unreal. It's last, it stood the test of time. Yeah. It's uh, Yeah, they make really good stuff. <clears throat> no, actually, the only boss tune I used, used to have the um, – Model was it? <clears throat> Forget the model. It never worked properly. Oh, okay. Needle was, would always bounce up and down. Um, no, oh, didn't like it. Oh, you're talking about one of those analog ones. Analog ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were they were horrible. Um, they weren't cheap. Yeah, right? yeah. Friend of uh, Neil's yeah. got one of those. It's <laughs> so unreliable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Another reason I wanted to have Dave on this particular podcast was the fact that we've both run jam nights. Uh, for maybe too long now. <laughs> but my last jam yeah, night yeah. that I ran, I actually handballed it off to another friend of ours, Alex, who's been on the channel, and also Dave, he does the other week. So you guys sort of um, do week on, week off, which is a whole lot better than, uh, in my opinion, at least than doing it every single week all of the time, which is what I've been roped into a few times uh, over the years. I'm not roped into, I opted to do it, but I realized, man, it can be, it can be like, fun and it can also be kind of stressful as well so yeah i just thought maybe we could have a chat about how it how the other side of the jam nights work from someone who's organizing it as opposed to just turning up and expecting to play with all of their friends all of the time mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah interesting topic yeah um i guess probably you got to start off with you call this working on one hand yeah, look, you're involved with music. How can it not be good? Yeah. Anything to do with music's usually pretty good. But, yep, frustrations, challenges, and difficulties, issues. I mean, it, it's um, what, might, what makes people come to a jam? Well, you've got a whole bunch of people that pretty well didn't know each other <laughs> that rock up. And jump up and play with total, I was going to say perfect strangers. Not necessarily perfect, but strangers <laughs> anyways. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of got to continuously keep that in mind. What makes people come? Well, so they can get something out of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a creative outlet. Creative outlet. Again, that desire to just enjoy music. Mm -hmm. I, I think everyone who, who goes to those has that desire to 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 get additional enjoyment. Yeah. Um, and that's enjoyment that your average Joe Blow out there doesn't get. In mm -hmm. other words, people who don't play an instrument. Yeah. I think about that um, a lot actually, like mm -hmm. for people who don't have music or, or any sort of thing like it, any creative outlet. It must be weird, you know. It must work in IT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 There we go. <laughs> We're the anomaly. Actually, there's a few. We know a few IT guys. But anyway, yeah. It's typically you can't win. No matter no, no no matter what happens, someone's not ga not going to be happy. That's in an evening. Well said. Um, you've always got to put a bunch of people together, and then you've got to mix things up, and you've got to you got to get a mix of people who are going to produce something, both so they get something out of it, <clears throat> and so the audience doesn't start walking out. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the, it's you a can't continuously. Act. Yeah. It is a juggling act. Yeah. And then you're challenged by who's there and what's there. Yeah. Not enough vocalists. Mm -hmm. Every now and then there are no drummers. No, that's it. I mean, look, you jump up and actually you're pretty damn good on drums. I mean, that was quite impressive that I one could time. Be, I was a drummer in a where, former life, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, when there aren't enough vocalists and yeah. let's not kid ourselves, in a jam – Everything typically revolves around what a vocalist can deliver. Yeah, it's that set and that's leader. the biggest limitation. Yeah, it's you're biggest right. limitation. It's not not just in terms of song selection, mm -hmm. but also in terms of key selection. When all of a sudden vocalist says, "I want to play this song that everybody might know, but I play it in this key," <laughs> yeah, and all of a sudden it's oh shit, I can't play it in that key. Yeah, I mean, and people, not everyone can transpose on the, on the fly. No, so, no, it's, it's it's not easy to do unless it's yeah. a three or four chord song. It's actually well, some, pretty challenging. Some people just find it difficult. Mm -hmm. This is the the strange thing about the jam is you get different level and caliber of players, and you sometimes want to get some of the great players together. And other times you want to you know encourage the some of the guys who might not be as strong to also play with the good players. But 
I always looked at it like trying to kick the night off strong, irrespective of who got there first. I used to just do it in order. And then I was like, no, I think the best thing to do is sort of, you know, work out what's the best couple of first sets we can get and then also mixing it in. But then it almost looks like you're taking, you you know, you're picking favorites as well. So that's tough. I remember, you know, some people miss, you know, not missing out, but getting a, a shot later because you want to keep the, some of the players that might not turn up a lot who are really well-known musos, you might want to give them a, a good shot so they come back and the standard stays up. So there's this weird sort of, yeah, it's an interesting sort of thing to do when you run a gem. you got to try and balance all of that. And you're right, every week someone wasn't happy when I ran it. <laughs> it's, I find exactly the same. Yeah. And a lot of times you try to explain to people, okay, it's limited because of vocals or because of, Insufficient number of drummers or lack of bass players or did anybody mention keyboards players? You're no, we, get any, we never see any keyboards no. players. Um, you don't get any harmonica players either, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hard players. <clears throat> well, actually, oh, that, that's the other thing with, with jams. I mean, overplaying. Yeah. Um, when people come to have a jam, people jump on and basically they just want to play and people often don't tend to have that discipline or they lose control and there's just often just a lot of overplaying rather than yeah. people sitting back and letting each instrument shine when, when it's their turn. I don't know if that's a nerves thing or whether it's just an inexperienced thing or, or whether it's a combination of both. No, I reckon it's probably just most people haven't gone through um, a situation, a musical situation where somebody tells them, no, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. And explain to them why that why they shouldn't do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And if they don't experience <laughs> that, it's well, you, you don't learn. Yeah, you don't learn. I mean, it, it's it is beneficial to go through that, no matter how harsh it might sound. You you kind of learn the do's and the don'ts mm-hmm. that help in, in your journey. And it is a journey. I mean, when you ever look at um, sort of people that turn up to jams, people who are Absolute beginners to people who are so damn good. Sometimes some of these jams are so <laughs> yeah. good you think you should be paying 150 bucks for tickets to go and see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really is like that, as good mm-hmm. as that sometimes. Um, and then the challenge is to, to find the balance in between that, like I said. So everyone keeps coming back. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing that a lot of jams don't think about as well. Like I, I've travelled a lot and I've been to jams overseas and – Sometimes, I mean, it's it could go either way. It could be like, all right, this is our rhythm section for the night, mostly unless one guy jumps off, another drummer will come up. Everyone runs it in a different way. Like my friend Ed in San Francisco, he hires like a rhythm section. He hires a drummer and a bass player every jam night. And if someone jumps up on drums and they're bad, they get one shot. They're brutal over there. It's like one song, done. That's it. <laughs> like he'd be like, bro off <laughs> but that jam's been going for so long and i tell you what every uh sunday night or monday night or whatever it is over there it's packed and people are dancing and everything and it's like and the reason people keep coming back is because the standard's great you know like and i think or he he forces the standard to be as high as it can be on any particular night yeah. having yeah. A, a core kind of group or band not to play all night but they're there just in case uh, and there's never really a time where the bass player will be off if the drummer's off at the same time. There'll, there'll be one on, you know, at any particular time. I think that kind of helps it as well. And you're like that too. That's what I like about you. You're at the jam, even though I keep trying to tell Dave to play more guitar. <laughs> if you're on bass, we're like, oh, all right, we're good. It doesn't matter who's who the drummer is. At least I, I got someone who can help carry the set. I kind of try, I'm try to put sets together. I do try to make sure, if I can, that at least the – the back line is kind of as solid as can be. Yeah. If you've got two or three people who know the material, there's a better chance of it working pretty well. Mm-hmm. But if there's only one person that might know a song, then that you know it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a Sweet Child of Mine the other week, remember? It's like <laughs> I can't remember who started that. Was it, was would it been, Rick? It would have been Rick. Yeah. Like Rick knows all the songs, right? His brain is crazy and I think um, – he knew where the key, the key change was, and I think everyone didn't know there was a key yeah. change. <laughs> and someone's just gone. I can't. Was it you that mentioned that? It says, "Oh, wait for the key change." No, no, it oh, wasn't me. Oh, I can't remember who, who said it, but it was just like 
derailed something something shocking after that. But oh, it wasn't too bad. But yeah, I think with the jams, especially like people over extend everybody's musical knowledge as well. Like some vocalists will turn up and they'll go, oh, I've got a book full of songs and, you know, they might pick some random song none of us have ever heard. You know, and this is the best call of all time. When a singer that has a book in front of them with all the lyrics goes, okay, what are the chords? Oh, just just follow the drummer. (laughs) What what do we do do with that? (laughs) So, yeah, it it can be... uh, it can be an interesting time being a participant in that situation, but also trying to make a set like that function as an organizer as well. Ah, uh, and then a whole bunch of other challenges. I mean, when the gaps in between sets are too too long, when it takes too long to set up, when it takes too long to pack up, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the whole thing between having a <clears throat> a set backline. Just come and use ESAMP versus come and use your own, yeah, yeah, your own amps and pedals. And no, you're right. There's no win. There's no better or worse situation. It's just whichever option you take, you just got to make it work. No, well, that's it. And also, as you were saying, like some people take ages to set up, and because they're there all the time, it's hard to really keep grilling them. You know what I mean? Like mm. people don't want to be in that position where where they're constantly getting nagged but the funny thing is and i i know i'm guilty of this with you and i, I see other guys everyone will everyone will just start like complaining to you about it <laughs> instead of just telling hey hurry up look at <laughs> like, dave what are you doing man <laughs> as the organizer you cop it yeah yeah again goes back to the whole thing you can't win mm-hmm. no matter what happens no matter how good it is there'll be somebody in the evening who will not have enjoyed it yeah yeah because somebody got three shots, they might have only got one shot. And look, at that's understandable, but... Mm. Hey, they got a shot the week before. That's our new line for people at the jam now. They got a play the week before. That counts as a play the following week. <laughs> no, it's a, it can be a, a, yeah, a challenging and frustrating thing to organise, but when the nights are good, it's worth it. Sometimes you get those, like I was saying with Rick and Ryan, sometimes you get those magical... Sets or nights where, hey, you know, everyone's listening, people are playing well, and that that's what makes it worth it. But ha- you, how long have you been doing that now? Is it is it two years? Uh, two or more. three years. Yeah, two or three years. And <laughs> I remember I had to fill in. I think once, uh, and maybe a second time. <laughs> yeah. I did it once, and I, I I didn't miss it at all, man. I, I really didn't miss running it. I like just turning up and and having a play. How, how's How's it feel doing it for an extended period of time? Look, it is much easier when you when you share the responsibility. Yeah. If you need to do something, you can you can have that particular night off. Yep. Whereas if you're doing it by yourself, you've always got to find someone to fill in, and that's not that easy. Mm-hmm. So it is much much easier to have that backup. But just I think something else. Do you play golf? No, I like it, but I can't play it. Have you ever played? I've tried. I so, suck at it. One shot in a hundred, when you hit that ball and you hear that ping and you yeah. see the ball take off, and that's why you keep coming back. It's the same with music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> that, said. That one set yeah. in a hundred, that's just magnificent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that happens to me, like every year, I go through a funk where I either think I'm playing terribly or I'm not improving or I sort of even get sick of guitar sometimes. Oh, think I know where you're hitting here. <laughs> so I thought, you know, Dave, the poor guy, my sarcasm doesn't always translate into humour. It sometimes is debilitating <laughs> to people when I when I make comments. <laughs> and, I, you know, I watched Dave. He crashed and burned one night on stage and you'd admit that. You were playing oh, with Dr. Rick. Oh, and I, I remember just the saw, night. I just oh, saw I all the life the get well. sucked out of your face that night. I came up to Dave and I said, Dave, that was terrible, mate. <laughs> Well, that was some of the worst playing I've ever heard. <laughs> Completely joking, thinking he'd laugh it off, and he didn't touch the guitar for six months. So how'd you get out of that? <laughs> I haven't. Oh. None. I remember that night well, and <laughs> nothing you said. I'm a prick. And, <laughs> and, Sorry, Dave. It was, it was a set with um, with Rick. Yeah. I just had a shit night. Things just didn't work. I, what the brain was thinking and what, what the hands were doing were two totally different things, mm-hmm. and things just did not come out where I wanted them. And I was really, really demoralised. 
Now, especially playing with, with players like Rick. Mm-hmm. So had it been you playing, would have been the same. Had it been Brian playing, would have been the same. But, but Rick just happened to be there yeah. and I was just totally demoralised. No, I haven't recovered yet. Yeah, wow. Um, I kind of really hadn't played that much. I mean, I, I don't play as much guitar as I did before. So it it actually did have an impact on me. Yeah, the reason I brought this up, it wasn't wasn't to like um, make fun of the situation. It was more like, what do you think caused the initial sort of uh, like I I kind of try to laugh off my mistakes. If I don't, I, I do exactly the same thing. I'm like, I'm so crap. What am I even doing with a guitar? But now I've learned just to laugh it off. And some weeks are better than others. Was it like what what happened that at that moment? Other than my comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, but he look, knows I was joking. No, no, I know yeah, you're yeah. joking. I mean, I, I, I said myself that I was most unhappy with it with that that evening. Look, I probably hadn't been playing that much, mm-hmm. and it was just one of those nights. Yep. I mean, when you're playing live, it's that's that's the beauty about playing live. Each event is an independent event, mm-hmm. and just because you might have. Played great one night, next night could be total crap. And it just happened to be one of those crap nights. I mean, crap nights you don't usually come along when, when there's a crap night. I'll just switch into playing mechanically. If you've got yeah, to play yeah, mechanically, yeah. that's why you've got to be comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. What the, what the beast looks like. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't even that. It, it was just a crap night. And yeah, I'm. Still trying to get over it. I mean, look, every now and then you pick it up and you think, geez, you feel so good. You really, really like what's coming out. Every now and then you pick it up and you think, oh, why, why do I even bother? Yeah. No, I feel ex- I feel exactly the same about my playing as well. There's yeah. times where I just feel flat or uninspired or I, I'm lucky in a way now I've got just enough stuff that even if I'm going through the motions, it still sounds okay. But there's times where I'm really on it. Like a few weeks back, I was playing my Les Paul. I hadn't played it for ages, and I was like, I'm playing really well. And the following week when Brian was there, it gets in your head sometimes too. And this is what I wanted to chat about as well. Like sometimes when you're playing with people that are, you know, sort of on that next level like Brian or Rick or, you know, some of these other guys. Another friend of mine said, shut it off. When he plays, enjoy it, but don't don't try to out-Brian Brian, right? That's, yeah. that's the term. You can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Everyone tries. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone fails. You, there's some guys that just play really well, and it's funny because sometimes Brian will turn around and go, "Man, I loved that. It was, you know, it was the exact opposite of what I just played. I was doing all this stupid stuff. Didn't go like it. Just might it might have been great to us, but he's like, it didn't really say anything. I like that more simple approach. I wish I could play more like that, which you can, but um, yeah. but yeah, he doesn't I, need to. Yeah, I've sort of learned to shut that <laughs> yeah. off, which is the counterproductive to the whole listen to what's going on around you but sometimes for your own you know mental state and especially for me when I do a gig and Brian's beside me and he's shredding I have to laugh <laughs> I try to laugh at it because I know whatever I'm going to play next isn't going to sound like that but everyone everyone's got their own their own way of playing you got your own style as well I think what I'd like to see you do more is laugh off those times where you're you might hit, you know, a, a bum note. Don't work here. Yeah, you just got to laugh it off and go. You know what? Well, I got my own style. That's why I said to you last week, turn up. I want to hear you play. <laughs> you know, give it. Just bring back the attitude yeah. to your playing, man. And it worked. You played great. You see, there, there was another episode went through many, many years back. Um, <clears throat> whole bunch of us were having a jam, and a very close friend of mine. We'd been friends for a long, long time. We just never clicked in, clicked musically. So, anyways, we were having a jam. And when somebody's playing lead, I work my ass off to generate the best rhythm I can mm-hmm. so they can solo over it. When my turn comes, I expect the same. Yeah. No more, no less. Anyways, my turn comes and he's noodling over solos. And I'm, I just remember being really pissed off. I was so pissed off and I'm still playing. Anyway, we finished the jam. We record, recorded it. Came home and I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, ooh, ooh, that actually sounds all right. So what's the pointless? The pointless is just because I actually thought it sounded crap and just because I didn't enjoy it doesn't mean what you're playing is crap. 
No. It actually, what I was actually playing actually sounded good. It yeah. was just not what I expected, which is different to the whole. Oh, totally. And <laughs> to the other incident. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. This is yeah. why I, on the YouTube channel over the years, I always tell people, record yourself. If you go yeah. to a jam, bring a little recorder or something because when I thought I was playing terrible, my drummer might have said, man, you were on it tonight. Mm. I was like, man, I felt like I couldn't play I listened back. I'm like, this is actually pretty good. Yeah. No, it's exactly that sort of thing. What what you think you want to generate? If yeah. it, if that doesn't come out, you're not happy with it. Yeah. But what the audience is hearing is sounding really, really good. And that's it. And it's also any people that have the creative brain, whether it's an artist or a guitar player or a musician or whatever, it doesn't matter. They're always going to be self-critical. And I'm so self-critical as well. I just I've learnt to kind of laugh off, laugh it off a little bit or try to avoid thinking about your flaws as a, as a guitar player. Cause I know I can't play fast. I'm not a fast player. I, I appreciate someone who can play quick, but I try not to let that bother me. I just go, you know what? Who cares? I'll just do my thing now. And that, that's the easiest way to sort of try to, yeah, everyone's got something to offer, I think musically. And, and that creative thing can get a bit, um, it can, it can hurt people's development. I think too, that. Can expand on that. That's self-criticism. Yeah. Look, I, I know that that's what killed my playing over the last couple of years. I've really not played as much guitar as I should over the last mm-hmm. couple of years because of that incident. That is nothing else but that <laughs> self-criticism. No yeah, more yeah. or no less. I, I, I know that. Mm. I know that. But without that self-criticism, how do you improve? How do you know, how do you know whether you're doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Within a within a band context, you you don't, unless you've got a healthy amount of that self criticism. That's something you got to work on. That that's something everyone needs to needs to have. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's critical. And like I said, rec- anyone who records a gig, even on a phone or something, has you've got something you can then listen to. You know, the day after or or a week later or whatever. I always think the worst thing to do, and I've, I'm guilty of this all the time. If I've recorded a gig, <laughs> I listen back to it. Almost instantly. Yes, I shouldn't do that. You need a couple of days to forget about it and then you listen to it with fresh ears because you'll notice everything that you felt when you played live at that particular moment. If there was something that was good or or wasn't, you're looking for things. And, yeah, recording, though, is the biggest – yeah, you're right. To improve, you need to be self-critical, but there's also a point where you still got to enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I think people have to be aware of that. I know a lot of the subscribers on the channel are, you know, beginners or intermediate players as well. There's some obviously great players that w- watch the channel too, but um, I asked a lot of people about uh, how to get out of a funk, you know, musically, and it's like, oh, listen to the stuff that you, you know, that inspired you to play is is a good thing as well. What, what are your thoughts on that? Like what do you feel like would be the best thing for someone to – Get out of a funk because you are playing guitar again. So I thought it was a good time but to ask. You were asking the wrong person because I still haven't, I haven't <laughs> recovered <on>. from that <laughs> yet. <clears throat> get back on the horse. Yeah. Get back on the horse. Noodle by yourself. Have a listen to your own playing because if you get in that rut, there's still the same playing inside you that was there the week before and yeah. the year before and a decade before. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't gone. So there's something that's that's blocking that noodle and then just just force yourself to play yeah and I've got to practice what I preach <laughs> <laughs> but yeah look yeah preferably I guess playing situations that that aren't gonna tend to generate negative results yeah so if, if, if you can play in situations where chances of a better result are good kind of go for that. Yeah, absolutely. Just until until you kind of get back into it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you run the jam, so you can have your shot at the best sets of the night. So. <laughs> yeah, but the problem with that is when when you're running the jam, your your first priority is to kind of mix it mix and match. And if yeah, if something's got to miss out, you kind of see that was sarcasm. But uh, Dave, so he takes it as <laughs> yeah. you're the king of sarcasm too. You've got me. I think he he stirred stirred me up for like three months until he admitted that he wasn't it wasn't my comment that did it. <laughs> <laughs> so for me like getting out of a rut what i like to try to do is listen to i go back to all the albums i learned a lot of licks from like from the cradle eric clapton i, I listen to some rob cray stuff i go back and listen to the bips and bb king or whatever and start simple and 
and try to feel what got me back into it. And all of a sudden, I'm enjoying playing again. It's as simple as that for me. I don't necessarily always need to find something new to inspire me or just be around quality players. That always helps too. Because I know if if I'm playing with someone like Brian or Rick who are technically great and they know a lot of stuff, I have to think to myself, all right, I might not know a lot of those things, so I'm going to play the way that works best for me with the song and not try to... Uh, not try to compete with that as well. I think that's one of those yeah. things. And yeah, it's really out of jam. It's it's easy to look at it as a competition. I see some people try to play like that, and Brian doesn't do it to belittle anybody. He just he's just a great player. He's just great. But so good. <laughs> do you see it as a competition? I don't know. I don't care. Like, like yeah. another, another friend of mine who's been playing together. He's mentioned kind of that a few times as well. As in, it's a competitive sort of thing. Well, I don't know. I never see it as a competition. To me, when you get on a sports field, you're competing. Yeah. When you get on the stage, I've never, never seen or felt that 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 should be a competition. Maybe that's the wrong – maybe it's my perception of it, but I feel like some people are trying to outdo another player just because they can do a certain thing someone else can't or whatever. And everyone's like that, though. Everyone's got their own strengths. But – I don't see it like that. Like I said, if I saw it as a competition, I'd be trying to out Brian Brian. I'm, I know better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, at, people talk and people compare. And when you say Brian's a better player than everyone else, well, that's got a sort of competitive aspect to it. But to me, as much as I certainly use that sort of terminology, yeah, XY is better than ABC. Yeah. But I never kind of look at it as a competition. Even if it is, I guess, yeah, I don't know. It's a yeah, bit of a contradiction. I, I, yeah, I don't see it as a – you're right. The comparison between someone who's clearly a better player than someone else is different to getting up and wanting to, I guess, belittle another guitar player on stage. I've been at jams where if you can kind of play, the next guy that will get up is making a point to to, to play a lot and to try to outdo the people that they've seen – prior to that I've, and not necessarily at this jam but just you know other jams I've been around the world as well is that there is a competitive edge maybe it's an ego thing for guitar players more so than it is for I don't know if it's the same for drummers or bass players but I feel like there's this you know it's, it's, it's a show as well you know playing live is also that showman thing and some people have more of that than they're, they're more extroverted than others yep. and they can kind of dig into that a little more and yep. they'll yep. do anything that makes them look like they're more uh, of a stage presence, I guess. It's more maybe a stage presence thing than it is a direct playing competition. It's, yeah, I don't know. I've seen a bit just, of that over the years. Yeah. Just getting back to jams, I mean, people getting into it. At what point should you get up and play with other people? So in, yep. in a jam situation, you just start learning. You might know you one or two chords. Should you be getting up and playing with people at that point? No, no, no. Um, what you should be doing, you should be going and sitting down and watching and, and learning. Yeah, but at some point, you got to get in there and play with people. Oh, totally. So, where do you find the balance between that need to play with people and between if, when you're an absolute raw beginner, you get up there, then that set is almost guaranteed to fall apart. Yeah, and it might have a so negative impact on the player too. Absolutely. Yeah. You, well, yeah. Well, because well, even if you held back to a beginner, yeah. you'd be demoralizing them yep. and you wouldn't be doing it intentionally either. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the, the, the key things for – it doesn't matter what instrument you play, uh, maybe different for drums, but in terms of being a bass player or a guitarist, my, my suggestion would be you have to – if it's a blues jam, you need to know, understand the pattern, right? There's people that turn up to the jams that don't even know the patterns and they're not, not because they don't like blues – it's they don't understand that it's a formula that's always yeah. the same pretty much, right? There's a couple of differences here and there. but um, So my suggestion would be learn. If you're going to go to the Blues Jam, listen to the music, understand where the changes are, learn a few chords that work, you know, that you can play along with. Even that's enough because when I first started going to the jams, I knew the chord progressions, but I couldn't really solo at all. It was, it was pretty brutal. But I said to him, I don't want to solo. I'll just play you know, some easy chord shapes and stuff. So I did the first seven weeks or something. What? A rhythm guitarist? Yeah. What? 
<laughs> who, who guessed? That's the other thing that a bit of a pet hate of mine. Yeah. Everyone wants a solo. Mm-hmm. In a typical song, 90% of the time you're playing rhythm. People don't spend enough time on rhythm, whether it's learning it, practice, practicing it, or listening it, listening to yeah, it. I, Especially, so for example, in jam situations, um, I don't know. I, I find it really disappointed that people just don't respect rhythm. You, <laughs> yeah, you can yeah, get you're right. So much enjoyment out of playing really nice rhythms, and a nice rhythm is no different to a, to a really nice solo. You really. know what it is? It's, it's the feel of the song. Yeah, you give, you give. It doesn't matter if you're a drummer, bass player, guitar player who's playing the rhythm part. You've got to. It's the feel of the song. It's what makes it all work. If you if you're just a horrible rhythm player and you only focus on, or I should say, if you only focus on lead guitar, you're going to be a horrible rhythm guitarist. People don't seem to work that out. It, yeah, it's it's just one of those things that. Uh, yeah, it's the unsung hero is the rhythm parts. And, and that's played nine, through 90% of the song. Yeah. So it is the most critical part. And it's what makes the solo sound great. Even if the solo is simple, yeah. it can sound great based on what's going on behind it. You know, the escalations playing maybe half as much well, at the start or how, a quarter. How often when you're playing a solo would you go through a whole cycle just playing a single note and let the chords behind it change? Yeah. And you're still generating a melody relative to <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's... No, you're right. It's it's the foundation of the of the music. It doesn't make sense why people don't focus on that. I look at playing. Even I don't care who I'm playing guitar with at the jam. Most of the time, I've played with you know players of all um, abilities. I try to make my rhythm part take their solo somewhere, even mm. if the rhythm section's oblivious to it. That's what I'm trying to do. I'll start off with different chords and just learning those. A great, you know, you asked about what should people learn or, or do before they go to a jam. Find a piece of, find a chord or find a groove that can accompany something else. The easiest way to do that is listen to a CD and try to find a spot that you can fit in without overplaying. That's a really good tip for learning how to play with someone who's already doing a part. <laughs> well, we all just played three guitars doing the same thing. That's always a winner. Yeah, we begin us. I mean, that, that's that's a good opportunity to also start learning how to listen. Um, a lot of people when they go to jams really don't probably practice listening that much. Mm-hmm. You're out there, you get two songs, three songs, four songs, all of a sudden you don't have time to do anything. Yeah. And listening's probably the first thing that gets thrown out of the window. When you're getting into it from the start, learn to listen. Focus on one instrument and just listen to learn what that instrument's doing. Yeah. If you can start teaching yourself to that at that early stage, you'll be miles ahead of a lot of other people. Yep. No, miles you're right. ahead. One of the – I was kind of, kind of lucky. I was always into recording, you know, even simple stuff. And when I first was aware of what bass was and where it sat in the mix and what it was doing and – how, you know, like I remember when I first started listening to the music, I wasn't as aware of bass guitar. I could hear it, but I wasn't really, I didn't know what it was. I just heard guitars and I heard drums, but I'm like, the low end is great. Like I, I just didn't know it was <laughs> its own instrument from. or whatever. Yeah. So then I became really focused on, man, this bass player is great. You know, all of a sudden it opened up a whole different way of listening to music. And uh, yeah, especially when you're playing live, it's, you got to have your, you got to have your ears open and be aware of, what each instrument is actually doing and what can you find to complement that as well. Yeah, and especially if you knew, usually the the singer or the lead guitar, the main guitarist or whoever's leading the set will be doing a part and then it's up to the rest of everybody else to kind of come in and play something that's that um, that isn't exactly the same unless it's a riff-based thing, but most people will want the second guitar to be doing something else. At least that's the way I hear, I hear it anyway, but I could be wrong. Plenty of people think three guitars doing the same thing is fine. <laughs> it can't be. It can't be. Another pet hate of mine is when people play guitar and they muffle the strings, they only play the two low strings, and all of a sudden they start generating bass frequencies. Yeah. So you've got the kick drum generating bass frequencies, you've got one or two guitars generating bass frequencies, and you've got the bass generating bass frequencies. Yeah. Any instrument that's not perfectly tuned, when they're all playing the same sort of thing, you're going to start generating mush. 
<laughs> yeah, you're right. And that, that's totally. just, just to me that that's really really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Those big oh, I call them the the chunky chords. You know, those big low like just all low. The one that sounds great when you're playing by yourself in mm-hmm. a room with a CD with the CDs playing quietly in the background. They might sound great, but in a in a, in a band situation, yeah, mush mush mush. <laughs> So Dave and I were actually talking about maybe running like a clinic at some point for people like at one of the jams possibly. I think that'd be a really great idea to, you know, encourage people to step maybe out of their comfort zone of what they, they might have been doing for a, a while or, or if they're new to the jam, get them understanding the concepts or try to help them understand the co- concepts of playing with other people and what are some of the like best best practices is such an IT term, but you know, at a jam because it, it really works. Like a guy told me ages ago, Ross, who is a great guitar. You know, Ross. Yeah, 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 yeah you know yeah, Ross. Yeah. Um, you know, he goes play the the A seventh chord, but leave off, you know, all the low strings. It's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, and it opens up all these different opportunities and in the mix and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, yeah, this is really cool. So, a lot of that stuff people just don't seem to be aware of and I think he'd be a great guy to have along if we if we yeah, ever do yeah, something yeah. like that as well if he's interested I thought yeah, that, yeah. that'd be great hmm so uh, yeah so the jams we sh- we're gonna go tonight <laughs> what time day's it? running tonight so uh, we might wrap this podcast up plenty of time have we got plenty of time oh, five minutes alright we've got five <laughs> minutes so uh, actually we, we'll probably wrap it up but Dave Thank you, mate. Thanks Thank for doing you. this, mate. I, I appreciate it. it. And uh, you can find this on iTunes as well. We'll go to intheblues.podcast.com. And uh, yeah, all the segments will go up on YouTube over the next few weeks, depending on which one I upload first. But anyway, thanks again for watching and listening. Yep. Catch you soon. Cool. Thanks, Dave. See you. Thanks for watching the In the Blues podcast. Subscribe for more episodes.